I suppose the worst kind of worship in the world is the kind that is just rote. It's just a worship that goes by and you don't even realize, I just worshiped God today. And I would say, converse to that, is worship that is heartfelt. And if you're not in heart today, you need to get up, go back there, get a drink, start thinking about some things and come back again. I don't know how we couldn't be, right? Uh, it's, uh, man, uh, I, I, the, the song on children that, uh, that Sam led today, I don't know that I need to say anything else. That's, uh, that's kind of what our lesson is about today, but it's not those little kids. It's those bigger kids that we're going to talk about today. And it's not even really about the kids so much as it is about the parents of the kids. And so we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that together this morning. You may have with you already, but you may not. There are two bulletins out today, as you can see here. But one is a bulletin. I don't want you to get this wrong. This is, I'm going to test you on this later on. It's, it's extremely important. I mean, everything counts on it. One is a bulletin. The other one is for the lesson today. Uh, and uh, if you don't have those and you'd like to get them, uh, you can do that now and they're in the back or you can get them later on afterward. Uh, that'll be fine as well. Uh, some of our lesson this morning will pertain to what you see in this uh, bulletin. Uh, we call it the leftovers and, and that's just because that's what it is. It's the, some of the leftovers. It's stuff that we may not talk about today, but you'll notice that some of it also is integrated, and you'll be able to look at that as we go along in some ways and, and uh, maybe uh, glean a little bit more uh, on the subject matter today than what we'll have time to cover uh, this morning. Sure good to see everybody this morning. I'd like for you to turn with me to Ephesians 4. And while you're doing that, just introduce something to you this morning. Psalms chapter 37 brings to our attention the uh, well-known observation that we're all familiar with, and that is, how come it is that sometimes people are evil and very worldly, and yet they still seem to prosper more, um, oftentimes much more, in the earthly realm than those who are godly people? And there are reasons for that, and God helps us to understand that better and to, uh, quite frankly, deal with it uh, in, a, in a godly way. And, uh, and he does that from, at least in part, Psalms 37. That's one of the things that we'll probably be looking at this evening as Brother George Loomis brings us a lesson out of Psalms 37. And that's at 5 o'clock tonight. So I got you all interested there, and you thought, great, we're going to talk about something we're all interested in this morning, and I'm just going to let you down and say, that's tonight. You've got to come back for that. Uh, today, though, we're dealing out, uh, our lesson is dealing uh, or coming from dealing with God's faithful parent, coming from Ephesians chapter 4. And so I hope that you'll turn with me there to Ephesians 4. Great to have everybody this morning, both member and guest alike, have several who have not been able to be here lately, and you've made it this morning. I'm so happy and thankful that you're able to be here today and uh, be part of the assembly and the worship, and our heart goes out to those who are not yet in that position and able to do that. Um, uh, another uh, very brief uh, thought this morning is regarding this coming weekend, I uh, really ought to advertise this, and we're trying to do that as much as we can to let it sink into the minds of all of us that have, especially that have teenagers, this event is for the teenagers, and uh, we call it the Youth for God, and uh, Reagan McClenney is our guest speaker this year, and he's 
His subject matter is learning to talk to God. And I hope that if you are a teen or you have a teen, that you will really encourage and push and prod and force. Is there a better word? I don't know. <laughs> uh, your teenager to be here for that. And especially the older teens, this is greatly beneficial for them. And, uh, and so uh, really encourage uh, all teens to be, uh, be active, be present uh, in this, uh, this coming weekend. Um, maybe in a more special way than on a normal weekend. As to this morning's subject matter, um, I have to say that every time I study parenthood, I uh, realize the inadequacy of parenting on my part and on my wife's part and as I look at other parents on your part too. I think it's an impossible job, but we are told do the best you can do in what I'm telling you to do by God. And that means that we can do an adequate enough job that our children will be who God wants them to be, at least have that choice, that opportunity. And that's some of what we'll be looking at together this morning. I'm, I'm going to leave the subject matter of, uh, of learning to talk to God to the, uh, to the speaker this coming weekend. And uh, just let him deal with that. And then the speaker's after this weekend to kind of tie up some of those things and talk a little bit more about that. Today I want to take the opportunity to talk to dads and moms, parents who have teens, and that's a very specific subject matter. You don't even usually hear lessons about parenting to teens. It's usually just parenting, generally speaking. And I'm going to say to you this morning that you can apply this lesson to those who are not teens, in other words, younger than teens, there, may, there is also some opportunity to apply it to other relationships in general, and you'll see that as you notice who Ephesians chapter 4 is written to. And also, you can apply this lesson at least to some degree to those who are no longer teens and are young adults, and you being a parent of young adults. Um, and so there's a variety of ways to apply it, and I want you to keep that in mind as we talk about these things, depending upon where your position is in life as an adult, uh, and to find ways to apply the lesson that may not be specifically toward teens as, uh, as we go through our study together. So let's, let's look there at Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 25 of this text, okay? Ephesians 4, 25, we're going to read down through about verse 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no uh, corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion." that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you among, uh, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. I realize that this passage in Ephesians 4 is about the church. I don't want anybody to think that 
That's not borne out in the context. It obviously is. It's talking to those who are Christians. And in fact, it uses the term neighbor here and then goes on to specify what kind of neighbor he's talking about. It's obvious he's talking about more specifically those who are members of the same congregation of God's people. It may not be the first text that we think of for this subject matter that we have here on the board uh, on the PowerPoint this morning. But when it's applied to family, it may have more to say to us than what we first might realize. And I'd like for us to do that together this morning. Just make some brief applications to family, and specifically parents toward teenagers. For example, you'll notice that this text lists for us several relationship fundamentals. In fact, you could almost title that this lesson, Relationship Fundamentals. And, and each one of these can be applied to various Uh, parts of family life. And when we do that, it can provide invaluable uh, to the parents of uh, of children. The first point that I see in this text, and maybe you noticed it as well, is uh, a quote from Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. You may not know that it's a quote from that text, but he almost exactly says uh, what, uh, what Paul says here in Ephesians over in Zechariah 8. But notice what he says there, verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And for our purposes, we've already made clear, hopefully, we're going to apply this to family. And so I'd like for you to insert the idea there. Let each one of you speak the truth with his family member, with his children or her children. For we are members one of another. The fact is, truth is important. It's important in our dealings with, generally speaking, neighbors. Everyone around us deserves to hear truth from us, not falsehood, for example. In our church family, as it's applied here in this text, those around us need to hear truth. And that's true in our physical family as well, wouldn't you say? Yet it is oftentimes in the physical family the least amount of truth is actually heard. Oftentimes we parents expect for our children to pick it up at worship services, at Bible classes, maybe at youth things like this coming weekend. They ought to know what truth is by the time they've grown up in our home just based upon that. But the truth of the matter is that isn't the way that it works. They need truth from parents. They need truth from moms and dads who are faithful to God. When we're dealing with our teen children, we need to talk straight with, their te- with our teens. We need to speak the truth clearly and plainly, leaving no ambiguity, ability to not know how to believe and think and how to practice what God says. Our children deserve to hear the truth from us as parents. And it may be that they are lied to on a daily basis out there in the world. We know that. We're adults. We understand how many lies are out there in the world, whether it's at work or among others that we know. I mean, there's just lies everywhere. You can't go to the grocery store and not see false advertising and lies about products. The world is filled with lies. But the one place that our children, our children, our teens have grown up understanding that they can go and hear truth is home. Home is where truth is. Home is where dependability 
on what God says is clear-cut. The truth of the matter is, once we talk about all that, we also understand, especially those who are older parents with older teens, they may not like what we have to say about truth. (laughs) That's entirely possible, isn't it? They, They may ignore the truth that is there and present, and they may not like that. They may not like the truth at all, but there is an invaluable price placed upon this commodity called truth. Our children cannot live, and I use that in the most spiritual term, without truth. And it behooves us to speak the truth to them in love. David reminds us that God's Word, the truth, is desired more than gold, even fine gold, sweeter even than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I wonder how many of us parents actually believe that to be the case. Or do we find ourselves really more enthused about the college they're going to go to? The grade they're going to make, the football game they're going to play in. Maybe the band they play in or the instrument they're playing in. That was a big part of our family was music and instruments. And how enthralled I was about that and and Angie. But listen, is it to the sacrifice of the truth? I mean, do I look at what God has to say and this is the thing. More than anything else in the world, this is the thing that I want for my children to love. More than gold in the bank account. More than food on the table. Truth. Giving the truth to our children brings treasure into their life is what the Lord teaches us who are parents. In those infrequent moments where our teen is asking for advice, I, I'm using that tongue in cheek. How often does your teen ask for advice? Uh, well, sometimes, sometimes, infrequently. In those infrequent times when a teen child is asking for advice from their parents, I've heard parents water down the truth. I've heard them sugarcoat it because they think it's going to be hard for their children to hear it and accept it and believe it and work it and do it. The fact is we often undervalue the age of our children. When our children become old enough, they they deserve to hear the truth unsugarcoated sometimes. Sometimes they don't need it watered down. They need to hear the honest value of what God says to His people. And by that time, they ought to be part of His people. So we don't water it down and we don't sugarcoat it and we don't Talk to them as though they are little children anymore. They need to hear the truth from God's Word. Truth, honesty, citing what God says to the need of the moment. Otherwise, silence will betray our children. And what kind of areas are we talking about? I mean, we can say these things and generically we go, yeah, that's, that's all true. Is it true when it comes to, for example, their activities? Is it true with their relationships, how hard it is to deal with the relationships of teenagers, boyfriends, girlfriends, groups of friends? 
It could be a moral sin issue in their life. Or it could be some other very biblical thing. I would say to parents, the wisdom, along with the years of experience and the spiritual digging and growth that you have endured and that you have built upon, provides every loving parent the right to speak the truth in love to their teenagers. It's not as though we have never experienced what they're going through. Whether it's highs or lows, and that's usually the only kind of teenager you've got, the one that's on a high or the one that's on a low. (laughs) But we've experienced all of that. And as children of God, we have grown. And we have understood what God says relates to those moments for our teens. And it's, it's invaluable to our teenagers to speak the truth to them. If you've been sidestepping an issue with your teen child, can I encourage you to resolve the right uh, to address that problem as quickly as possible? Every time I preach, this thing kicks on. I don't get it. I don't know. Can y'all hear it? I can hear it like right in my ear. (laughs) You don't hear it? Okay, good. Well, that's good then. But we have that right, don't we? And we should utilize that right, and, and we should be uh, careful in how we do it. Let each one of you, each one of us, speak the truth, Paul says. He says it to the church, but we can certainly apply it in a loving way to our family. Well, the next thing, look in verse 26 of this text. Verse 26 gives a very odd command, I think. In fact, it's the only place I could find this command quite stated, uh, stated quite this way. Be angry. Now, that's no problem for the parent of a teenager. I promise you. <laughs> that's not, we don't even have to work at that. It just happens. Be angry. But then he adds on that. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The form of anger that Paul is addressing here, that he's describing is not an out-of-control temper. It's not anger where a person becomes frustrated and and, and downright uh, hostile uh, when it comes to not getting his or her way. You know, as parents of teens, we have to learn to cope. By the time we have teens, we need to have learned how to cope with the fact that we get angry with our children or it'll destroy us and we'll destroy them. I don't know about you, I I have had difficulty in the past of handling anger. I probably still do in some ways that I'm unaware of today. It it used to be a whole lot worse than it is today uh, on my part. Time and experience and getting your bell rung a few times over letting your anger be out of control and saying and doing things you ought not to and then suffering for has a way of teaching some lessons, doesn't it? And if we, if we try to use some wisdom about all that, we'll become a little more mellowed out the older we get, right? I mean, that's kind of the way it happens from an older adult, uh, 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 I'm not saying it right, an older parent's perspective. We should grow more mellow as time goes on. I think maybe sometimes God gives us the, uh, the youthful ways when our kids are young just for that reason because we might not be able to do it at, at, our, at my age. 
uh, at the older, you know, uh, all the children having gone out and look at it now, I'm like, I don't know how we did that. And not to discourage those of you who have young children right now, I sure wouldn't want to do that. It's great, it really is. But as you look at it from an older person's perspective, anger is one of those things, especially as our children get older, that becomes more and more a struggle for the older parent. What does Paul say? Be angry and do not sin. But he's talking about this anger that is, that is an out-of-control anger, unhar- unbridled anger that does harm rather than do good. And you wonder to yourself, like, maybe if, you, if you're like me, you do. You say, well, how, what, how can a person be angry and not sin? Isn't anger a sin? Anger is not a sin. It's what we do out of our anger that becomes sin. Controlled anger actually has a way of helping us in some ways, and that's why I say it's a very odd thing to be uh, spoken of this way, because we don't use anger this way. But notice how Paul is using anger. When we're angry, we can become enraged. We can become, uh, our our vocabulary can become defiled. Our thoughts become defiled. We lash out and we say things that we mean in the moment. And then later on we say, you know, I really didn't mean that. Why? Because now we've had time to think about how foolish it was. How we really shouldn't have been thinking that way. Anger and relationships often clash. And we see and we hear something that isn't right and we become angry about that. Now here's case in point. Your son or daughter does or says something that we know, they know, is not right. What do you do in that situation? I'll tell you what I tended to do. I would say, that's not right. And all of a sudden, my anger is flared, and I'm at the verge of saying and doing something that really is, is, is ridiculous in the perspective of the way God says to do things. We say, that's not right. We become angry because we know they know. And the reason we know that is because they've heard it since the time they came out of the womb, almost. <laughs> Not literally, but you know what I mean. And we go, how could they not, how could they do that? How could they say that? How could they be this way when their whole life they've been taught exactly contrary? I'm angry over that. Uh, it's, it's pretty skewed when you consider your own life. But nonetheless, that's the way that we see things as parents of teens. Paul says, when that kind of thing happens, the devil is hoping to use our anger to our own disadvantage in our relationships with our children. I just remind you that Cain was angry at God because he improperly sacrificed what God had not said to sacrifice. The text says Cain became angry, and God spoke directly to Cain. He said, why are you angry? Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. It's a time as a parent to remember to be careful when our anger is at stake here. It doesn't mean that we have to go around being pacifists. In fact, some of the worst parents could be pacifists. 
They just, I don't know, they don't stand for anything. And it ruins their children. Especially this is true when it comes to the things of God. Things involving God should provoke within us passion and zeal. Things that revolve around Scripture and truth should be something that we are excited about and fervent about. And when those things are transgressed in our own life, as well as in our teen child's life, anger is a result of that. But it's not out of control anger. It's anger that says, I stand for this thing. And this is important to us as a family. Paul's point is, when things awaken your anger, just don't become overcome in rage and out of control, venomous words, hateful actions. In fact, he says as much down in verse 29 of this text. Look what he says. No, let no corrupt talk come from your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to the hearer. How easy it is to destroy what we're trying to build. To communicate corruptly by inappropriate words. By yelling at one another. Sometimes even fighting. Legit, I mean literally fist fighting. By cursing. By sarcastic put downs. Once we succumb to such things, there will only be disrespect in return and we should be looking for that because it will happen. If we disrespect, then we will be disrespected. And the Bible clearly teaches that to be the case. Therefore, Paul says here, speak only things good for the building up, or your version may see, say, for edification. Need the moment. So Paul says, don't become dark in your anger. Let God control that. Respond and react in your anger in a way that is good and wholesome rather than destructive, letting evil overtake you. In chapter 6, verse 4 of this very book, Paul tells us improper anger will only provoke a child to respond in like. Rather, we're told to bring them up in the discipline, in the instruction of the Lord. Again, going back to chapter 4 of Ephesians, and in verse 26, you notice that he says again, let not the sun go down on your anger, and do not give opportunity to the devil. Mistakes are going to be made, and forgiveness is going to be necessary. Forgiveness is going to be necessary from our children. We're fooling ourselves if we think that's not the case. It is the case. But also, forgiveness is going to be needed toward our children. Our anger, rightly handled, can provoke zealousness and passionate statements which make clear our care for them, the importance of them to the family, and the importance of the situation without destructive and hurtful words and actions coming out of us. The third thing that he mentions here in this text is seen in verse 28. Did you notice that? He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that we, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Certainly we do that in our family, don't we? It's one of the main reasons we go to work every day, right? It's because of family. Especially that's true as we get teens and it takes $500,000 a year to support them, Right? <laughs> I mean, this is one of the reasons we do work. It's not just for our own benefit. It's also for the benefit of sharing to others. That's true, generally speaking, in all of our relationships, but it's certainly true 
in the macro or the micro way of looking at all of this with regard to family. Great admonition for all kinds of relationships. But how does it apply to the child and parent relationship? Do not steal any longer. You know, we can steal from our children if we're not careful, if we fail to teach them. That's why we often find ourselves thinking and meditating, hearing quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Can't, just can't teach on family without bringing Deuteronomy 6 back into focus again. It's such a, it's, it may be one of the, the greatest passages in all of Scripture to the parent. The need even for our children in their early days to keep God's Word and regulations, directions for life close at hand. Notice verse 6 of the text with me. I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. These words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. That's the first priority of every parent. Every parent, every grandparent, if we're going to make the, even ad, that application. On your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And how do we do that exactly? I want you to notice in this text, if you haven't underlined it or highlighted it, there's three areas, three general areas, that the Lord gives us to teach our children in. Or ways to teach our children, I should say. One, talk of them. When you sit, by, uh, sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Two, bind them as a sign on your hand, as they shall be as frontless between your eyes. They are so tightly bound in your life that your child cannot mistake it. They know who you are, what you believe, and what you expect from your children. And then in verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Everywhere they look in your home, God is seen. Could be on plaques, could be on your nightstand where you have you know, some scripture, or could be in the TV room where you got your Bibles laying there on the, uh, you know, on the, on the couch or where, wherever you got there in your TV room. But everywhere they look, they see God at work. Three ways, talk to them, bind it, and write them. We steal from our kids when we fail to teach them the ways of God from an early childhood age. I want you to notice that word diligently. If you're a person who studies diligently, then you'll know you need to underline that word in your text. It's all important to the context. Diligent. Consistently. The things they've grown up learning and hearing and seeing can't help but have an impact in their knowledge and Lord willing on their life. As they grow through the teen years, they'll become prepared better for adulthood. We can steal from our teens by not doing what Deuteronomy 6 teaches. We can steal from them when we refuse to let them suffer, when they are just boneheaded and go, go about things wrong, even if they know better. By not letting them suffer for the consequences that they make for themselves, because they're not listening to God and they're not listening to the teaching of their older adult parent. There's always a price to pay, brothers and sisters, for doing wrong, and we do our children wrong. 
when we teach them there's really not. We'll protect you. We'll cover you. We'll get you out of every situation. You don't have to learn that wrong brings harm in your life. One of the most valuable lessons we learn as we become adults is that doing wrong always results in harm in the long run. It doesn't mean that we don't support them. It doesn't mean that we don't love them. It doesn't mean that we won't doesn't mean we won't take them back when they come back. Certainly we learn that from the prodigal son, don't we? But the other thing we learn from the prodigal son is that the dad did not go seeking after and begging for his child to return. The child knew what was right. The child knew how to do what was right. And when he learned the lesson... He came home. So we need to love and support them so that they want to be home. Pretending that sin isn't sin, that wrong isn't wrong, is wrong. They have to know wrong is wrong. Sin is sin. And to practice it will reap horrible benefits in your life just like it has mine and every other human on earth. Now, keep in mind, brothers and sisters, I am talking about children who are of a certain age. I'm not talking about your five-year-old today. I'm talking about especially older teens and the need they have to sometimes learn the hard way. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's the worst words for somebody who has not learned to learn. And sometimes we parents can stand in the way of the most valuable lessons our children will ever learn by not allowing them to be responsible as they grow older for the sins they commit. One of the things I often think about is It's the most difficult time in life, a teenager. But how it is we learn to love God more when we have a heart that has been trained by God and good parents to know we can always go home. Well, then finally, as we finish out this portion of the text, I'll pull it together. We'll look at verses 31 and 32. Where Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. With this list of imperatives in hand, Paul simply gives a reminder, summary statement. Did you see what the words were that he uses for the summary statement? Be kind. That wraps it up. Be kind. That sounds pretty simple until we try to put it into practice when our children as older teens are not being kind to us, right? Be kind. We can express kindness through a warmth embrace. We can express kindness through thoughtful listening. We can express kindness through asking for and offering forgiveness. I know with teens it can be difficult, but Paul encourages us all Make being kind a habit with your children 
I would say, brethren, we should make being kind a habit with everybody. And that's true even for our young children. Not just when your mood is on an upswing. It's easy to be kind. Whenever everything seems right. But have a bad day at work and come home and be kind. Have difficulty going on in your family and your teenagers not acting like they're supposed to be acting. Be kind. Other pressures of life, just be kind. Doesn't mean we have to be bubbly all the time and pretend like nothing ever happens in life and everything's always good and there's never any problems. That, that's, unjust, that's unjust to children as well. But we are, we are called to be kind continually. Our desire should be to practice tenderheartedness, forgiving, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. You know, one of the things about all that is that when I realize how much Christ has forgiven me, it makes me a kinder kind of person, doesn't it? Makes me more generous with my kindness as He is and has been with me. Nothing takes the place of relationships like these, is, is there? I mean, these are, this is the best kind of relationship God's patterning, uh, laying out this pattern for us in regard to. We need to receive these things in our relationships by others. And we do. In fact, He mentions in this very text, by the Father we have, no doubt about it. But we also need to give these things. We need to give them to people in general. We need to give them to our brethren. We need to give them to our children at home. Be kind. When God speaks, isn't it worth listening? I love the way He teaches us. Sometimes it's very simple, uncomplicated, awfully hard to apply. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whosoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Be kind. Let's finish off with a quick word of prayer together. Will you bow with me, please? Our holy and great God in heaven. Lord, may we learn some of the great valuable lessons that you have taught to us in passages like this one we've looked at today regarding great relationships and how to pattern ourselves after them how to apply such things so that we might have better relationships in our daily dealings with one another. It is easy for us to get caught up in the things that are not essential, turning our lives into a selfish pursuit, seeing ourselves through our children rather than our children in you, living for you and living for one another in the family. Help us, Father, to put aside the things that lead to bitterness and clamor, to cultivate within our hearts and our families, within our church, kindness and forgiveness, goodness, as you offer and you show us. Uh, Let us, Father, live for eternity and to teach our children the same that we might all be able to be together in the land beyond this one. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Let's all say... Amen. Well, uh, we have looked at some tough stuff today. I realize that. And uh, the teens are going to look at some tough stuff coming up this weekend. And so we're not doing anything we're not asking of them to do, right?
And I hope that you can be here for that if you are a teen. Teaching your children to live for eternity. Isn't that great? I want you just to stop and think for a minute. Maybe you've got children that are still in the womb, or a child. <laughs> maybe you've got a child who's in the womb. Maybe you have children. That'd be great, too. Or maybe you've got kids that have already moved away, out of the house. Think for just a moment what eternity will be like with that person in your existence. Wouldn't that be neat to grow up in a family who's a family of Christians and then to raise children in a family who is a family of Christians and then for eternity get to be with each other without all the problems that we've mentioned today. Wouldn't that be a great relationship? I don't know what kind of family you come from. It might be a great family. It could be a Christian family that's really a wonderful family. Maybe it is a horrendously awful family filled with exactly the opposite kind of people. One thing I do know is this. Everyone can be blessed with a spiritual family and a father who's unlike every other father that we could ever imagine. Perfect in every way. Now that only comes through being a Christian. Otherwise, we exempt ourselves. We say, okay, I get it, but I don't want to be part of that family. Now, that's just a person who doesn't understand the kind of family we're talking about. Because there's nobody in their right mind that would not want to be part of that family. But maybe you're not part of that family. Uh, my encouragement to you today, our, our encouragement is for you today, uh, to, resi to stop resisting the Father who loves you more than anyone else, who gives His Son on your behalf, takes the payment of sin on His shoulders so that you do not have to bear it, and instead become like that prodigal who knows you can come home. And today that home is offered to you. If you need to respond to it and you're subject to His call, won't you, won't you take that step this morning? Why don't you do it now while together we stand? And as we sing.
We've come to the part of our service that we may have the opportunity to give back as we've been prospered. If you're visitors here, I would have fill out our visitors card. You may leave it in the tray as we come along. Will you pray with me? Our great and loving Father, we thank you so much for so many wonderful blessings you let us enjoy. Thank you for our health. Thank you for this congregation here. May we do your will with this money and do it in a manner pleasing to you. Forgive us of our sins and go with us and guide us safely. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 